Hello and welcome to another new episode of Tony the Movie Guy, the podcast. This week we have Darius Wilharon. He's a very talented filmmaker and we discuss his career and then go into favorite movie directors. So this is a two-part episode. Here is part one and next week you will have to tune in for part two. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. It's Tony and the Movie Guy and... Miss Money. And we have a brand new episode. Bum, bum, bum. And I have a special guest, uh, a buddy of mine who's a, a great filmmaker, inspires me a lot on movies. So I'm excited for this because uh, he's someone who I think is kind of on par with me on like just absolute passion and uh, crazy knowledge. We can kind of just talk forever about movie subjects, which is uh, Darius Wilher. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is exciting. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I know you're a busy man. Um, yeah, so you're, you look, you know, we kind of met a few years ago. You've been on the radar because overall you're a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but you do a lot. You know, you've been a director, editor, visual effects, producer, and all that good stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, and your IMDB page is really growing. You're you're a productive man. And, and I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit first. Okay. And then um, the main subject that, you know, you and I kind of picked together when I, I heard you could finally make it on <laughs> was um, best movie directors. Right. You know, I mean, you're a, a filmmaker, but I think you, you have a huge passion as a director, correct? Yes. And and kind of uh, these lists are always really painful. <laughs> One, because yeah. you are automatically going to get into fight with everybody else because it's such a subjective <laughs> sort of thing that uh, when you asked me about this and I spent a stupid amount of time on this list because just off the top of my head, I reeled off like 78, right. you know, from the the obvious ones that anybody, you know, that if you're an art credit and it's not on your top 10, then nobody, no nuts. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to the more like obscure ones of, you know, like for example, uh, Nikki Caro did this film called Whale Rider way Great back in the movie. 90s, which one of the best performances from a child actor of all time. I like personally better than Shirley Temple. Yeah, fantastic which is film. Really saying something. And just so then whittling that was, uh, Keisha Castle Gray. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Girl. And and she got the Oscar nod for that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and these were films like that deeply affected me. So when going like, how am I gonna make this list really relevant to something that um that I think you and I would get into a good discussion over and that I think anybody listening to the podcast can relate mm -hmm. to, which is the 25 greatest directors uh, or 25 favorite directors, I think was kind of how we named it, that inspire me to be a filmmaker. I love that. Great. Which yeah. is kind of yeah, where great. I sort of wheeled it in. And I feel you completely. It was a similar thing for me. I actually kind of went through a similar process because I looked at some directors who had made some of my favorite films of yeah. all time, but then they didn't have much yes. more of a body of work. I saw that too. Um, so yeah, we kind of arbitrarily picked 
25 of our best film directors. Look, I knew, especially with someone like you, we could, this could be a five-hour episode. Yes. Easy. You know, it's probably going to run over time, and I don't mind. It's going to be fun. Uh, but yeah, we're going to just kind of go back and forth on some of ours. And remember, th there's no regiment here. You can say whatever the hell you want. So if someone else comes to mind, bring it up. Okay. Uh, we're going to celebrate you know, uh, filmmakers and best directors as the, the main theme and subject of, of tonight's episode. Awesome. Sound good? Sounds awesome. Okay, good. But look, first of all, I, I want to be able to talk to you about your own um, career because you've got a real fledgling career. You're, you're doing a lot. You're very productive. Um, I like what you do as well. Um, I want you to be able to plug things. When did you get into kind of filmmaking? Tell me kind of how that progressed for you. Well, I originally got into filmmaking, um, like actual filmmaking, uh, when I started getting taught how to edit. And right. I started learning how to edit on old uh, 16 millimeter dirty dupe film strips and cutting together dailies with a razor blade and tape. Wow. And sounds old school. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really fascinating to me because you realize I'm, I'm eight or nine at this time and wow. it's summer vacation. And just, I had already been inspired by movies uh greatly up to this point but this was the first moment when sort of you know the the every boy's dream of being an astronaut making movies whatever sort of came into something of this is something tangible that i can sink my teeth into and that i could actually uh realize cool so that's kind of where it was born outside of the cinema you know right. like and you know laughing at charlie chaplin chewing Watching on a shoe movies, you know right. like that sort of thing of of actually going, oh, okay, I can actually learn the technical processes of putting a film together. And then after that, it was a bunch of in-house work and corporate work, learning the nuts and bolts of every aspect of filmmaking. And, uh, and fortunately, I got to learn on film, which is not something that a lot of people have the opportunity to do these days. It's, right. And... And it really is a blessing. Because everything's so digital now, right? Yeah. Yes. And like doing a recent TV show, like a long form TV show for, for Netflix really brought home the problems of digital versus the problems of film. Right. You worked on Real Rob as well. Correct. We had uh, Calvin and Bowie who did the music on that. Correct. And you did what? Editing or? So on season one, basically I ended up doing sort of like the first pass on the edit of uh, a large portion of the show. And then I kind of... Uh, stepped down from that to go off and make my own movie. And um, for season two, they asked me to come back. And um, when you have a big show like this, but that's not really a huge show. I love that show, by the way. Yeah. I love it. So you end up, uh, everybody get, ends up being asked to do more. Got it. You know, you sort of have to, mm. you have to sort of bring what you can to the party to make a show as good as you can. So right. I ended up being able to edit, produce, be you know be a second unit director and director of photography at times so it was really a, a fantastic and really fun learning opportunity because all of these skills that I've learned over the course of 30 years you know I'm able to put them all to use in a single show that's cool so that must have been really kind of educational and beneficial as yeah, well. yeah it is because often when you see big shows you kind of go oh they just have limitless resources right. and you know and there you are you know with one guy like holding onto your belt while you're leaning out the back of a truck with a stabilizer and a camera you know <laughs> shooting right. some b-roll for the show yeah. and you're like oh, maybe not limitless resources yeah that's cool and you have worked on several films i know you worked on selfless which was a ryan reynolds movie that's a good film actually i think it's underrated what did you do on that movie uh, that was a lot of vfx uh, supervision and that's mainly sort of 
administrative kind of with some opportunity for artistic input, but not really. It's, you know, the, the most interesting thing about that project for me was, um, and it's kind of sort of my favorite story about that film, which is... Tell us. It, we want to know. It has a director who didn't make my list, but made one of my favorite films of all time, who which is, is Tarsem's. Like Tarsem. Oh, yeah. He did The Fall. The Fall. Which I you think... talked about that. With Lee Pace. I love that movie, okay. dude. I think, and this is going to sound really whatever, I think that's a film that artistically... So in, beautiful. 50 to 80 years, film students are still going to be watching that film. Well, people film. are talking about that film now, and it, it was such a under-the-radar movie. Yeah. He, that director did The Cell as well with Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Uh, which, again, it's not a it's a disjointed movie, but visually it's stunning. But I, I love that you brought up The Fall because so many people have never heard of that movie. Lee Pace is in it, who's fantastic as well, and it's such a great movie. There's two movies that I gift the most to people who are really interested in learning about film mm -hmm. or diving deeper into film and, well, three. One is um, Citizen Kane. Right. The other one is Casablanca. And more, I've gifted The Fall more than either of those two combined. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And I'm not saying it's a better film than those two films. Of course not. But I'm saying it is... A spectacular film. And it's a hidden gem because yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people can go, oh, it's too slow or what. It's an incredible movie. Like you see that and you go, wow, this director has something to say and something to like offer. He has a vision and it's yes. very singular. Yeah. yeah. Tar Tarsem Singh. Singh. Yeah. <laughs> Tarsem Singh. Um, Tarsem Singh. That's the name. Yeah. He's, he's, his visual aesthetic is just phenomenal. It is. It's outstanding. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's this one shot in Selfless where, you know, they're melting the mirror with the flamethrower. And uh, I think we've done like 70 iterations. Like sometimes in a film with visual effects, there's a shot that a director just won't let go. Right. Like it just, it becomes this, the, the unkillable shot. You mean he's like not satisfied with it and it's was not, going over and over again? It's like he has a very particular vision. Got it. And he he's not seeing it like and, okay. and he's and because it's visual effects sometimes they have a hard time expressing it like when we right. worked on natalie portman's film uh tale of uh darkness god i just lost it. But, oh that's the one that she directed that's right that was yeah. her first uh, film as a director and you worked on that too yeah i ran all the visual effects for that awesome so um we did like 70 takes on that shot <laughs> and finally i, I was love your so <laughs> mad i went and rented a flamethrower and got a piece of mirror and got a red 4K camera, set it up on high speed, and just burned through a mirror with the flamethrower. And then finally, we took that element of the actual live action element. And then when we mixed that with the digital, we finally ended up getting the shot approval. Because wow. I think, you know, what he was locking onto is he could tell, like, there, he's so textural that right. he mm -hmm. could tell that there was something, that there was artifice to it. You have to respect that. And, yeah. you know, so it was like finally on... Finally, when we put those two together and there was an actual like liquid mirror melting down mixed in with all these, with all the actual high-end visual effects, finally the shot got approved. That's cool. Now I want to watch that scene again. Yeah, Which so. is interesting because we talk a lot about the balance of practical to visual effects and what great movies are made of that exact basically yeah. mirage or like 
putting that together. So that makes sense. It's interesting that that was the shot he liked. Well, look, I, 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 as I said, I know I could probably talk to you forever just about your own career. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do want to get to the main subject soon. Okay. But no, no, it's okay. That's awesome. What are some of the other projects you worked on? Like, obviously, I know you produced and you directed The Hollywoodens. Yes. Which, just so you know, that's a film I own. That's the film I, you know, you invited me to the, the screening and premiere of. I've watched it three times. And, I, you know, there's a lot about that film I really like. Yeah, that there, was, there really is. And I know that was kind of your first big endeavor. Is that correct? Like yourself, blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, that was that was kind of a, you know, pardon the phrase, that was a shitter get off the pot film. No, no, I understand. You know, that was like, <laughs> I either really love this or I'm going to take a different career path. Right. Because art, whether you're a painter or a filmmaker or a musician, you know, the ratio is, you know, probably 100,000 to 1 of yeah. people who are successful at what makes them happy. Right. So, and, you know, it, it comes down to a question of how do you define success? For me, it had to be something that I loved doing. And because right. I had never done a full feature, I was like, okay, I need to do this now because, you know, originally I said, if I don't do my first feature by the time I'm 40, I'm going to kill myself. And then <laughs> I turned 40 and I hadn't finished my first feature. So I'm I was glad like, okay. you didn't do that. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, so let's, let's, let's Change do this. Change your plan. And... You know, it was just, it ended up being like, it was like I had a bunch of friends who always wanted to act in movies. So, right. you know, what was originally a, a nice, tight, 100-page screenplay, you know, suddenly I was putting in parts for all my friends, and suddenly uh, it was like 140 pages. Yeah. And, and I did everything that you could, like, all the things that you shouldn't do with a first film, like low-budget indie feature, I did all those. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like... Usually you have your first feature, low budget, you've got four actors in an apartment. That's right. that's what I like to call those films. It's right. four actors in an apartment. And I think there's a lot of those that have been done far more successfully than, you know, than what I did with the Hollywoodens. Because I did 60 speaking parts wow. across 70 locations in LA. And wow, I really learned that's not the way to make a low budget right. movie. You know, right. and but still through that. I was never happier than when I was on the set working with the actors. And I went, wow, this is really what I want to do. Well, obviously, it was a real learning experience for oh, yeah. you. But I, again, I think there's a lot to be proud of from that. And I know it was your first venture. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I really do. As I said, I've watched that film three times. It wasn't out of obligation. I well, I spent the time to actually watch it. And there's there's a lot of good stuff there. And that's where it also got me really excited about your career Thank you. as a director. So, you know, well, you know, I root for you for sure. What, you. what other uh, projects have you worked on that you want to kind of mention? Well, we already talked about Real Rob. Um, you know, selfless, selfless tale of love and darkness with Natalie Portman was really interesting. Um, but really, in the end, it was just a lot of visual effects and problem solving, which is 90 percent right. of what visual effects is, is trying these days is, mm. is trying to do shots that will sustain on budgets that are getting smaller and smaller. Right. You know, and it's just because of the nature of of everything, you mm. know, like everything has to get cheaper. It's not that producers don't want to give you the money that you need it's just that they're trying to spend less money so on a project as risky as that film they can try and you know they can try and hedge their bets and right. still make as best a film they can wasn't that like an independently made film as well it didn't get a big studio release it didn't it was portman's a big name she's a huge name and the whole film was you know it's shot in jerusalem it's all in yiddish right. you know wow. it's there's so many risky choices about right. that film and you have to give her kudos for for tackling that as her first film. And this is not like, you know, you're not, this is a story about, you know, like, 
Jewish women, when they moved to Jerusalem, this whole suicide thing that was uh-huh. happening. I mean, like, you're not bringing your... This is not a popcorn yeah. movie, you know? This is no. a deep, heavy movie. But clearly she had something to say. Right. You know, it's and... passion project. So, you know, that massive respect for her, like, using her clout to do that. And I think that if she loved the process, she'll continue to make films. And I think that if she didn't love the process, she'll continue to act and maybe produce. You know, mm-hmm. I think whatever she learned from that, um, she will take forward with her career. Will only make her a better actress, and I think she's one of the finest actresses in the Absolutely. world. She is definitely loved yeah. her since Leon. Man, yeah. <laughs> we're going to get to that on the list. Blew me away. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. And then, um, you know, do you have any other projects you've worked on, or anything else you're working on now that you want to plug? Not really. Well, here's the funny thing about Hollywood, which yeah. is that until you've started, nothing is for sure. Of course. Right. It's like the amount of right. meetings that I've had since the Hollywood and some projects that have almost started and this and that. And it's like, I have, you know, I have, you know, a thriller script that I wrote, which is now finally, it's like, we're supposed to get a proposed cast this week. And it's actually got a budget connected to it. I mean, when you go from a film like the Hollywood, it's where, you know, what I got to spend was basically like uh, during the shooting p- phase was about $25,000. Right. It's not a lot of money. Not a lot of money. So <laughs> to go from that to something that is a hundred times larger than that. Of course. Um, you know, it's going to have the same set of challenges, but you know, vi- visually there's a lot more things that I've, you know, I really wanted to accomplish with the Hollywood and so that I just didn't end up having the, the, the time, for, yeah. the time for. And, and that was the main thing that I, I really kind of went, ah, okay. Right. You know, well, again, it's a learning experience. You'll get there. Just keep at it, Darius. You're, you're yeah. a good man. And again, I think you have your own vision and stick to it. That's yeah. awesome. If there's anything that I would tell people who are thinking about making their first film, like the one lesson that, that, that I would say is if you're making your first low-budget feature, you can get locked into this, this frame of mind and the people around you can get locked in this frame of mind that you only have 15 days to make the movie. Right. right. And it's utter horseshit. You have as long, at that budget level, yeah, right. right. It's like we tried to do a 20-day shoot in 15 days. We actually tried to do a 23-day shoot in 15 days. I mean, it's not like days. a studio gave you a deadline, right? Right. No. And, I, yeah. and I realized this as I'm cutting. I'm like, why didn't we just go back a week right. later? Right. And there were some limits. Like Canon gave us a prototype camera that they took, they had to take back. But, you know, it was like I could have shot it on a different camera and right. colored the footage to match. So I would just say, you know, if you're really thinking about doing your first film, don't accept limitations on time because right. the, the if you look at how Christopher Nolan made the following, right, which which was very interesting, he made it over the weekend over, over the course of of every weekend he would shoot a little bit more over a year, wow. using leftover film scraps from the the animation department at the school he was working at, you know, so let, something like that. But right. I know for sure he was shooting it on weekends, right? And he just he bit off bite sized chunks and he just went, I'm going to get what I need to get. All right, cool. Well, that's great. And then where can people find you? You have a website? Uh, DareCinema.com. DareCinema? DareCinema.com. Yeah. Okay, okay. So talk so fast. <laughs> sorry. That's, that's the nature of working as an editor. <laughs> well, no, look, guys, check them out. As I said, I respect and admire you. I love your passion. I think you're very talented. And uh, I, I'm going to be continuing to root for you and uh, seeing everything that you produce and create. Okay? Thank you. No problem. All right, good. So we're going to get into this. So um, best film directors as chosen by Tony the Movie Guy and Darius. Um, You know, obviously I consider myself a big film buff. In addition to being a filmmaker, I mean, you are a huge film buff. Yes. Um, This is going to be fun. Huge huge in a relative way because like, for example, like I think 
arguably one of the greatest film buffs of all time is Steven Spielberg. Of course. You know, yeah. and Tarantino. People like this, mm. they don't just make movies. It's it's in their bloodstream. And totally. it's like they're, you know, they're watching a movie a day no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of like to have that level of film knowledge is something that I aspire to. Well, it's their life, uh, their entire life. Yes. And that's almost how I feel. And I do watch a movie a day, sometimes two or three movies a day. It's almost a problem. It yeah. is. Um, look, we'll <laughs> kick off the list. Okay. Because obviously number one on my list mm -hmm. is Steven Spielberg. Okay. Who I consider the greatest filmmaker of all time. Even if he didn't make another movie, his body of work to me is unparalleled, in my opinion. Um, he, I know he's certainly considered one of the most acclaimed, but the reason for me is because he's done every genre and mm -hmm. he's excelled in every genre. And also when I look at his body of work, um, I found two or three misfires, mm -hmm. like films that I truly didn't like that much, and over a dozen like masterpieces, classics. Now that just happened to be our episode last week. Right. So we did a deep dive, Miss Money Annie and I, putting a spotlight on Spielberg in celebration of Ready Player One. Right. So I'm not going to say much more than that. Um, what I kind of put as a little anecdote when we go through our list is we can also kind of discuss, A, our favorite film from that director, okay. and then maybe even uh, an underrated gem. Okay. So for Spielberg, I'd say... Okay, I'll say Saving Private Ryan, although to give just one of my favorite is hard with him, mm -hmm. just because I just rewatched it and it blows my mind every time. And underrated, I would probably say Empire of the Sun, because okay. I love that movie. Phenomenal movie. With a young Christian Bale, and a lot of people don't know it. Um, but what's your take on Spielberg? I'm assuming he did make your list. Okay, so uh, how I wrote my list, again, is I kind of did, these are my, the, the 25 directors that make me want to be a director mm -hmm. and i had to do this chronologically meaning how <laughs> they impacted my life and how that shaped my, like what i want to accomplish okay i love that because so this progresses as you this is a up. progressive list mm -hmm. i love it so the the two like the two honorable mentions that i want to throw out right at the start um mm -hmm. because i don't i consider them people who kick-started my love of cinema mm -hmm. but not either not well just not my favorite directors but just sure. which would be george lucas and walt disney oh and and oh my god walt disney <laughs> i didn't even think of that so when you look at walt's work as as a director it's not um you know it's it's, it's more the world a, he created that's yeah, right yeah so he, he same with lucas star wars raiders indiana exactly. jones my, as a director mm. my first memory of a film ever, and I must have been a baby, is Luke Skywalker swinging across with Princess Leia. Mm -hmm. Right. She from... kisses him on the cheek. Yes. She doesn't know it's his brother. It's yeah. her brother. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, darker <laughs> themes. But, but that being said, so he created this thing, but then if you look at what he directed outside of that, and American Graffiti is one of his best films. That is a good film. Luke you know, directed mm. that, yeah. But he doesn't make my list, but... It's an honorable mention for both Disney because Mary Poppins is oh, as perfect a film as ever incredible. been made. And just so, so many films have come out of that universe. Yeah. So that being said, number one on my list is Steven Spielberg. Oh, good. So we both had a number one. So Jaws came out on June 20th, 1975, yes. which is when I was born. Correct. So. Oh, the day you were born? The day I was Are born. Are you shitting me? Nope. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. So, and 
as you said, he just has this tremendous body of work. And the, you know, we could talk about Spielberg for five hours. We could. And we did we so two hours did, last week. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that one of the movies that he got, uh, that many people consider like one of his worst films, for me had one of the 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 scenes that affected me the most in all of cinema. I mean, I, I must have cried for three hours, like sobbing uncontrollably. I can't even say why I reacted that way. got me like on the edge yeah, of my seat. What, what, Which what? movie? It's from AI. Oh, I love and it's, AI. It's the scene at the end where they bring back the mother. Right at the for end. For just, she's got the... Spoilers. Yeah. And it devastated it's me. It's incredible. In, in, in a way that I could not even predict. And, you know, it's basically, it's, it's a Kubrick-Spielberg collaboration. Right. And, it, like, well, I don't Kubrick think... Kubrick died and he took it over because they were close friends. So he finished it. So it kind of has two visions. It yeah. does. And, but, you know, it... It Would really, that be your underrated Spielberg? That thing? for me is the most underrated of okay. all Spielberg's mm. films because I good pick. Yeah, so that is the most underrated of all his films. If I had to pick my favorite Spielberg film in terms of cinema power, I would say Schindler's List. Yeah, and yeah. if I would say my favorite Spielberg film in terms of what inspired me to to pursue a career in cinema, it's a toss up. You know from. Indiana Jones and um, Jaws, you yeah, know? I mean, I will just mention this. Um, it It's so tough with Spielberg, and that's why, to me, so he's tough. unparalleled. Because E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, even Temple of Doom for me, and The Last Crusade, and Saving Private Ryan, and Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, Munich, Ready Player One, all those films to me are like masterpieces. Yeah. Yes. Like they're not 100%. just good, they're phenomenal films. Yes. And yeah. it's it's just it's very interesting because it's like this is a, a generational thing. Yeah. You know, I mean there's kids who are gonna be fil the filmmakers of tomorrow who may very well have that same opinion of JJ Abrams. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I think just, he is the new Spielberg. Almost I think I think he's yeah. I think he's Getting working there. on that path. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I you know, so but for example, like you look at the filmmakers like Cecil B. DeMille, he was the original Spielberg. Right. Because what what has always fa been so fascinating about cinema is being able to show what is possible. Yeah, exactly. It is, Absolutely. It is an escape from reality. And whether it's an alternate reality where someone's life is so much worse than yours, right. mm. or it's an alternate impossible reality that makes you dream and and want things to be fantastical and spielberg is a generational filmmaker yeah. i agree he he is the filmmaker he is the greatest filmmaker of his generation 100%. in terms of the power of cinema he, All right. he understood it so that's enough on spielberg yeah look i, I love it and I, I love that we both had him as number one so um your pick Go ahead. What's your next one as a film director? Okay. We're going to go back and forth. Okay, perfect. So that way gonna... I won't steal all your thunder and talk all the time. <laughs> so number two is going to be one that is probably not on your list. Try me. But um, it uh, is John Landis. 
Okay. okay. He's on my honorable mentions because okay. he's done some incredible films. Did you? Do you so know here some we go. Yeah, yeah we have American Werewolf in London. Classic. We have Blues Brothers. Oh. We have Kentucky Fried Movie, which, which is I love. It's that film's so raunchy, and I saw it when I was ten years no old. No idea what that yeah, is. Okay, <laughs> I have to give you an anecdote. I, I'm not. This is a true story. I was like nine years old. My dad bought this video. It's like hard R rated. Oh yeah. I stole the VHS with some of my friends. Put it on. <laughs> And it has this scene, which is actually brilliant. It's hilarious, where this girl and guy are watching the news, yep. and he's trying to make out with her. Well, he's trying to go down on He's her. trying to go down. He's trying to have <laughs> okay. sex with her. And she keeps stopping him um, because she uh, wants to watch TV, and he keeps trying to turn the TV off. So then when she leaves the TV on, and he kind of gives up, then she gets all raunchy and starts having sex with him. And it's like a full-on graphic sex scene. And as it's going, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? The news reporters start watching and they're like Whoa. pointing to the other yeah. guys and they're like, woof, woof, woo. <laughs> and they're so like, weird. they're smoking cigarettes and they're like dragging people oh in God. from the corner and they're watching the whole thing go on. I was like nine years old. Yeah, it blew my mind. It was <laughs> And it I was did an not experience. know what was going on down there, by the way. <laughs> But it's it was it was an interesting film, and then you know after that didn't he do Animal House as well? Yeah, he did. I think so. Mm, yeah, he did. But I think he this... may have written it. No, no, no. He I, he absolutely did because I remember they said it's a different kind of animal as the tagline for American Werewolf in London, which was another brilliant movie. Yeah, because it was such a random uh, movie for him to do next. Yeah. So then he did. He also did Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, and oh Coming God. to America. I oh love my God, all two of Coming my to America. Yes. Yeah. So, but. It was, for whatever bizarre reason, uh, m my dad thought like American Werewolf in London and King Kong would be two good movies for me to watch while I was sick with a fever. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so like I watched American Werewolf in London. I think I was four. Oh. And this gave me a, a, a lifelong phobia of werewolves. Wow. Like like horrible. It's a horrible. great soundtrack as well. Van Morrison. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Rick Baker's transformation in that... It, it, it holds to up this today. day. Yeah, Rick Baker's transformation uh, in American Werewolf in London and uh, Rob Boutin's work in The Thing are arguably two of the greatest practical effects of all time. Oh, mm -hmm. Agreed completely. Given the technology they have and what they accomplished, mind-boggling. So John Landis really kind of, you know, there was spectacle and then there was this other aspect of uh, subversive cinema. cinema. Yeah. Which John Landis was very subversive, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and this, he he was, you know, this he comes from the same school as as like Harold Ramis, who did Ghostbusters, and right. you know, like this group of filmmakers. But in terms of my career, that would be my number two choice. Again, John Landis is such a great pick, man. What would be your like favorite and your like hidden gem? I would say that the hidden gem is Three Amigos. Mm -hmm. um, I love that movie. That Martin Short. I, I watched Chevy it. Chase. Chevy Chase. Yeah. My dad made me watch that like 20 times. I yeah. used to do that like whole yeah. dance <laughs> thing. Yeah, I know it's an audio podcast, but yeah. anyone who's seen the movie, so just visualize them doing the whole like thing in sync. Yeah. So sorry, yeah, Three Amigos, the and then, hidden gem. And my favorite film of his is still American Werewolf in London. So I think that film's incredible. I would almost say it's a hidden gem, and here's why. Um, I know that film's quite well known, but it hasn't stood the acclaim that I think it really deserves. Because a lot of people I talk to don't know it. And you're right, that film is incredible. I'd have to say he, the best is Coming to America. I, I had no idea Coming he directed America. that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite comedies Mine of too. all time. Yeah. I know that one back movie, to front, like Eddie from Murphy start film. to finish. 
Yeah. So good. The royal penis is clean. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And fuck so you. Yeah. Fuck you too. <laughs> so good. So much great humor in there. And, you know, uh, I would just say like American Werewolf in London as a filmmaker was arguably his riskiest film. Because he's like doing, like, I think he was the first, maybe not, but he was one of the few at that time who had done a dream within a dream. Like you mm. remember when he has that dream and then he opens the closet. This is like after the Nazi werewolves and he opens the closet right. and it comes out again. Yeah. And it's a third dream. And it's like, that was, that was kind of like, Nobody had done that at that point. Right. Look, I don't know what was wrong with our parents because I watched that film as well when I was Seriously. like six or seven. See, I didn't. Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen that film in, oh, that's not true. Last year I saw it. I watched it again. Um, but look, John Landis is a great pick. Uh, we'll move along. Uh, God, this is frustrating because I know we could be here like for a day. You yep. know, you could just lock the door, close the blinds, and we could just have fun the whole time. But that's a great pick. Um, okay, good. I'm going to go. Okay. Uh, James Cameron is my my next one. Did he make your list? Yes, he did. Okay, good. I figured. So again, it's body of work. Here's what's incredible to me about James Cameron. He's made like nine movies. You know, yeah. after he made the two most successful films of all time, Titanic, and then topped himself with Avatar, he kind of doesn't really have to do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. But obviously, Terminator is a classic. Yeah. It's one of the first movies. Again, I don't know what was wrong with my parents. I remember watching. Um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is incredible. Aliens, he so made good. two of the arguably best sequels ever made to already incredible films. Yep. Um, Titanic, Avatar, The Abyss, um, True Lies. Uh, and now I don't know why he's going to make like another five Avatar movies. I know why. He'll make um, a fortune. <laughs> of course he will. Well, apparently he And wants, they could be he, great. Well, apparently he wants to make a real message as well. That's like he thinks it's actually important. Hmm. Um, I would say my favorite film is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And my hidden gem of his is The Abyss. Because I, I love that movie. Love too. that movie. Yeah. Okay. And not uh, enough people have seen it. Go, my friend. Okay, so he's. Did number, you have him on the he's list? He's number eight on my list, and number realize eight. No, this I'm is kidding. you have to realize this is this is time when like I'll it's okay. yeah. you know I it wasn't like I saw Terminator and that was that was a that was just fun and it was oh, awesome, but it. it was Aliens for me is mm. my favorite James Cameron Which film is of awesome. all time, and it's so good. He figured out a way. Like Alien was terrifying, but it come he, out at night mostly. Yeah, he figured out. That film never let up, never yeah, let up incredible. for one second. And it was a film that I was addicted to. Game like, over, man. Game over. When you put her in charge. <laughs> and and he figured out the perfect balance because in horror, comedy is the release. That's right. right. And even with every release he orchestrated in that film, was he wrote it too. Right. He was always upping the stakes. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. it's like, yes, you had the releases, but every time the stakes were going up and up and up. And so true. And it was, and you know, when we we get, we'll talk about Aliens three later on the list. Right. Um. But um. And then I I actually didn't know The Abyss was a hidden gem because for me it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. Well, it's one of his few rare misfires. Like it wasn't. Really? A I didn't know it was. Yeah. I didn't know it was a misfire. So. I just thought it was like it had that some scene, superpower. That scene, scene with so Ed Harris resuscitating. Yeah. Oh my Wake God. up, you bitch. You've never quit before. And yeah. it goes on for like five minutes. Like she's yep. dead and he brings her back. 
is yeah. still one of my all-time yeah. favorite movie it's scenes. It's an incredible movie. Uh, no, look, again, we're kind of film no, buffs. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, a lot of people don't know that movie. I know. Well, I remember I put it on and was watching it with my wife, and she's like, what is this? I'm like, one of the best films ever made. <laughs> so I would oh, say... Michael Bean is fantastic in that film. He was unbelievable. So good. Sorry, Darius. Go yeah, ahead. so good. So my hidden gem of James Cameron, I would say, is True Lies. I but that was huge lies. because of Arnie. It, it was, was a huge success. But I would say, like... I mean, just so you know, you don't have enough to choose from, so I have to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like... Like, he. it's the most, in my opinion, the most... It, his closest attempt at comedy. I agree. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he stepped into the comedy genre, and that was a bit outside his wheelhouse. Let's say it wasn't a failure. Obviously, it made a ton of money, but you take Arnold out of that equation, right? And it like, would have been a smaller movie. It would Absolutely. have been a much smaller movie, and still, like the scene where the terrorist video camera runs out of battery. Oh I mean, like, my gosh, <laughs> so good! Is this still recording? Yep, yep. <laughs> sweat drop just rolling down his face. So, and he does comedy so well as as. Um, touches of color in his other films yeah. but this is the one where it had the so most com- most comedy in it and that's why i feel it's one of his weaker films but still like i would have to say it's the hidden gem it's of- a great right. pick and jamie lee curtis oh my god yes she, she is gorgeous Hall in that, in that movie yeah okay great pick uh we're gonna and it's my favorite arnie movie yeah, i mean you love true i Lies. i have watched true lies i would say a hundred times. Oh, like yeah. it's I, super fun. Uh, the scene where he punches, <laughs> he's with the horse and he's telling off the horse for not jumping. Yeah. He's having this whole conversation with the horse and there's a little sidekick and uh, Bill Paxton's in that Again, movie yeah. as the salesman. Everything in that movie, I laugh nonstop. Here's the I thing about it. Cameron. He hasn't made a bad movie. No, he, he hasn't, doesn't. Which is very impressive. And again, like Spielberg's made like 40 films. Cameron's made like nine yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. And they're all yeah. brilliant. Okay, we'll move on because we have so much to cover. And did you have something you really wanted nope, to say? No, ne- I get to go on my next pick now. You do? Yeah, you did too. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I'm like a little giddy child. Go. Yeah, okay, so third on my list is John Carpenter. Okay, I'm Ooh, I like pretty you. sure I had him. All right, I love Carpenter. Okay, so yeah. this is arguably... Like, if you ask my dad what's the worst thing that he's ever done to me in his life, he, uh-uh. he'll always say, he took me to see The Thing when I was seven years old. In the theater? In the theater. Scary movie. Holy shit, man. Yeah, it, and it is, I was so terrified I couldn't even move. Like, I was so terrified I couldn't, like, I couldn't move my body to close my eyes. I you was were like, old? I was, I was seven. Oh, good. Seven, seven or maybe eight, I think. <laughs> no. And it, but it was, again cinema showing us something that is maybe possible or not but at that point i became i watched all of john carpenter's films mm. the tension build-up in the thing to it's me amazing. is incredible yeah. and also it blows me away how much that movie holds up yes actually it, does. it stands the test of time because i enjoy it now more than i did when i was a kid yes it because it's so brilliant kurt russell everyone's fantastic in it um that's a great pick i mean he's made here's what's really interesting about carpenter he's like the ultimate b movie director he is mm. like he hasn't unfortunately had big hits but he's had films. I mean, okay, halloween, from, halloween which is, is one of the I most mean, profitable okay, right. films sorry of all so time. halloween for sure which but, i love by the yeah, way yeah <laughs> but then you take a look at his other films like they live 
a masterpiece. I love yep. that movie with you know Rowdy Piper, A Big Trouble in Little China, which is my so one of my fun. favorite films. Of Escape all time. from L.A., fun. Escape from New York. He's done all these films that are just so good, but. You know, I'm just saying he hasn't had big blockbusters no. other than, he's, like, Halloween. He is a filmmaker's filmmaker. Absolutely. Mm. And like, he scores all his own music. Yes. His music is so iconic. So yes. iconic. So what would be your favorite and your, like, hidden My gem? My favorite is The Thing, and the hidden gem is Big Trouble in Little China. See, it's. I guess that's true. It is. Yeah. Like my favorite is Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Because you know Jack Burden. It's all in the reflex. It's all in the reflex. <laughs> I love that. Um, my hidden gem would probably be They Live because yeah. I. That film is so smart. It is, but also there's so much Reagan era politics that's that's interspersed throughout that film. It's. It's a film that's just as relevant today as it was then because totally. the politics just they just cycle. But I think mm. people don't take uh, they live seriously because it's you know Rowdy Piper and it's, it's, it's got the famous line uh, you know I, I have come here to chew, chew bubble gum, gum chew and, bubble gum and kick ass yes. and I'm all out of bubble gum. Yes, um, but it's so smart that film. Yeah, see that was for me that was the cheesiest. Absolutely. Of, of, I mean like. And there's some of his films that I don't want to revisit because I have a special place. Like The Fog, I love. Mm, but I know that film. if I Good went movie. back to watch it, probably wouldn't hold as much as my memory holds it. So it's and not... he did that Vampires movie as well with James Woods. God, James Woods <laughs> and anything. Yeah. Anything. I love that guy. <laughs> okay, good. That That's an excellent pick on John Carpenter for sure. Was there anything else you wanted to say on that one? Nope. All right, good. We're going to move along briskly here. Um, Christopher Nolan. Um, so it was actually hard for me not to put him number one because he's, he loves well, currently he's my favorite director. He's the guy that anything he makes, I'm in, even before I even know what it is. Um, but I just, when you look at his body of work, he's only made seven or eight films and he's made a few I'm not huge fans of. Mm -hmm. um, so Memento, when it came out, I loved that movie. I absolutely loved it. Once you've seen the film and you understand it's, totally bizarre and un unique structure the magic is gone for me personally i can't really go back and revisit it the following is an interesting film yes i can't really rewatch it the yeah. prestige i'm not a huge fan of i'm i much preferred the illusionist which came out the same year with edward norton they kind of went up against each other um but he did the dark knight trilogy Mm -hmm. you know, and The Dark Knight is like my in my top five films of all time. He did Inception, which is a masterpiece. He did in Interstellar and he did Dunkirk, which I think is phenomenal. So uh, where's Nolan? Because he's definitely on your list, right? He, well, again, realize this is... Um, in sequence. This is in sequence. Yeah. So he's oh, number... So this would be more recent, last this decade. Is, yeah, yeah, so the, he's number 24 on my list. <gasps> I okay. actually understand that. And, and that's just because of when I discovered him. Yeah, so that makes when, sense. When I first discovered him was when I saw Memento, which when I saw it, I instantly had a love-hate relationship with it because I had just finished doing my own little short film, which played with time and was reversing time. Mm. And I was like, bastard, okay, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it was, I liked it a lot more than, than many of my friends did. Let's put it that way. And I went, but what I knew is I'm like, this is a filmmaker who has something to say yeah. and let's watch and see what it is. And I always joke that, um, that w I, I like to say that when I grow up, I want to make films as bad as Interstellar because 
I was so surprised when Interstellar came out, like some of the critics, what they were saying about it. And was, uh, I have issues with that film, by the way, quite a lot, but it's, it's my still visually favorite stunning. Christopher Nolan film. Oh God, we could spend an hour debating it's it. It's my favorite Christopher Nolan film, and I'll tell you why. I dreaded going into Interstellar because I don't really like his endings, right? Mm. I really, like, I'm an optimist. Well, like right. when I go see a... a, a a film and cinema have certain expectations depending on the type of film. And just like many Asian films, Asians generally are like the Greeks. That Most of their films are tragedies. Right. And Nolan tends to make very tragic films. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and I have issue with that. Right. I don't... If I'm going to see Batman... I'm with I don't, you on I, that. I don't want to know that if I'm going to be Batman, that my life is going to be the worst, most horrible life that you could possibly imagine. Because... Yes, there are trials, but there are reasons to be heroic in life. And you really, when you're talking about inspiring a generation of kids, which is what comic books are supposed to do, exactly. of course, yeah. you don't want to give them the message that your life will be miserable if you make heroic choices. Right. I think that's a message you can give to adults, you yeah. know, that, you, there are, that there are hard choices to make. So his endings tend to be downers. And, and I agree. And I kind of, I went into Interstellar going, oh my God, another, it's going to be another <laughs> incredible movie with a downer of an ending. Uh, and uh, like, I, I really enjoyed Inception. I, I, you I know, love that movie. I, I that's think open-ended. It's ambiguous. It's ambiguous yeah. again. And it's, and that's okay. It's, yeah. he, that's what he bad. does. <laughs> that's what he does as a filmmaker. You know yeah. what I mean? And he allows audience participation. But I think a lot of audiences, they want closure. Of oh, course. You know, yeah. you want closure. And when you don't get it, you leave the movie theater and you're pissed off. You're like, God <laughs> damn it. Yeah. I love the passion, man. Yeah, yeah. just good. That's true. It's like, just, and, and it's okay. It's yeah. okay to fuck with your audience. <laughs> of course. You know, which Fincher is the master We're of fucking get with there, the I'm audience. Sure. <laughs> so, okay, anyways. good. So hold on. So for Nolan, I agree with you completely. I do. Um, okay. What would be your favorite one then? Uh, Interstellar? I would say Interstellar is my favorite mm -hmm. film of his. Okay, so to do a hidden gem for Nolan is going to be kind of impossible, but what would you do underrated? I don't think he has an underrated film. He kind of doesn't. So my favorite is The Dark Knight. What I would say is more people need to go back and see Batman Begins because when that came I agree. out, I, agree. I film, love right. It was of, not a huge I love that hit, movie. but of, it wasn't a huge hit. The other two, The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, you know, were like billion dollar movies. Yeah, but they wouldn't have been without Batman Begins. Exactly, and it's an amazing origin story. I think Batman Begins is his most underrated film. Yeah, I I, I, I would think say so that's too. his hidden Good. gem. I liked it more Perfect. than the Dark Knight. I mean, hidden gem quotations yeah. for but, Nolan, but yeah. yeah. Other than Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, which was transcendent. Don't get yeah. me started, though. Yeah, yeah. he'll yeah. go on I for an hour. On that. All right, moving on. No, 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 it's okay. All right, so, uh, so it's your turn, right? Okay, good. So number four on my list is uh, Wes Craven. Hmm. And wow, really? This okay, is, he's not on my list. This is the guy who created he's on mine. Nightmare on Elm Street, the right. series Nightmare on Freddy Elm Street, Kruger. which he was writer and director. And uh, Scream. And Scream. And then he did this fantastic, the hidden gem of his is called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Hmm. Never heard of it. Which is a bizarre cinematic experience, but it's it's based on a true life drug called Zombinol. Is it a horror film? Or? It's horrific, but okay. it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street because okay. it's actually based on a true story about a reporter who went to go to, you know, the islands investigating people being turned into zombies. Oh, wow. So we got to watch this. Yeah. It's, you know, so again, I was 
coming off like I there were I went through a whole horror period in my life uh, and so I was addicted to all things horror I'm still in that period of my life and so and Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street was again it, he he was a subversive filmmaker you know he was like he was kind of John Carpenter sort of mm. he with Halloween he kind of invented the slasher yeah. right? you know and, and he exactly. kind of he reinvigorated horror that's right and then Wes Craven came along and then he reinvigorated horror for the next generation of kids exactly. who were sneaking into the movie theaters at that time because ticket sellers didn't give a rat's ass if you weren't 17 to go see an R-rated yeah, film. That's right. Yeah. So um, at that age, and again, I think you have two types of people that go see a movie, uh, maybe more, but generally people who go in and they go, I want to be, I, I want to do what Indiana Jones does. Mm -hmm. And you have the other kind who go in who go, I want to tell stories like this. Mm. Right. And and that was me. I like when I went to a movie, yes, I was inspired by the film, but I went, God, I want to tell a story like this. I want like I when I would turn around and see people cowering in fear and grabbing their girlfriend, I'm like, oh my God, I want to do that to mm. people. I want to give them that adrenaline rush. And these were a series of films that again propelled this into my reality as a filmmaker. I mean, Scream, we love. Yeah. So that would be my favorite pick. I'm not that familiar, I'll be very honest, with mm -hmm. his full body of work. Oh, horror's not really your genre. Nightmare on Elm Street is great. Miss Money and Yenny and I watched that last year, and we were laughing <laughs> through it. I'm sure. It, it's just, it just doesn't hold up so well. But, uh, I mean, obviously he gave the world Freddy Krueger. I definitely want to check out that film, The Serpent and the Rainbow. The Serpent and the Rainbow. Sounds fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite film of Wes Craven, since you chose it, him? It has to be... Uh, the first one of his I saw, which is Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is a film that I don't want to revisit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, because I don't. know, like, yeah, you know, there's Johnny Depp was in there, you yeah. know, and I think it was Johnny Depp's first big movie role. Yeah, um, and and I, like, these are films that I know now how technical I am. Ex I won't exactly. be able to you make can't. it through the film. Right. Yeah. Because once you see behind the curtain and with how advanced films have gotten these days, it's like the films that, with the effects and everything that are being made now will now hold up for a hundred years. Yeah. We don't have a problem like we had in the eighties. Exactly. You know, where low budget <laughs> films didn't quite slow mo starts getting really uh, bad. And yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of walking after them. They're running like damsels in distress. Yeah, so let's not ruin it for his okay, memory. We'll yeah. move on because um, we've got a lot to cover. Scream but, is my but, favorite. Yeah, that is a great pick. Um, okay, good. My next one is Quentin Tarantino. He's so on my list. he's definitely on your list. Now I'm really interested on where you place them. Okay, so Quentin Tarantino is on my list. He is number 18. Wow, okay. All right, so 90s obviously is when he you know, blew up. I think he's also a, one of the best film directors ever made. He has such a singular vision and a voice. Um, he's another person who doesn't churn out films. Remember how we were talking about Spielberg? Yeah. Spielberg is so productive. He makes like two movies a year, a lot of the time. Um, Tarantino's like along the same lines of Cameron. He's made like nine movies and apparently this 10th one is going to be his last film. And then he says he's he going to retire. Um, again, I don't think he's made a bad film, probably Death Proof and Jackie Brown are the two films of his that I'm not big fans of. Um, Reservoir Dogs, I saw it in the theater. That film blew me away. I'm going to call it a hidden gem. It's not at all. I'm just going to say that okay. everyone talks about Pulp Fiction. Go see Reservoir Dogs. Oh, it's, amazing. it's incredible. My favorite film of his is still 
Pulp Fiction. I mean, that film to me is incredible. And again, I saw it in the theater. Uh, but the Kill Bill movies, Inglorious Bas- uh, Bastards, is uh, that film has two of the best structured um, scenes I've ever seen. The introduction yeah. scene, and then the, and then the pub, the pub scene. Pub scene. Oh, oh my so god, good. incredible! Django Unchained, which is so batshit crazy, but I love it. Love um, what would be your pick on Tarantino for hidden gem or underrated and like okay. best film? I would say Tarantino got into my radar. Uh, with true romance okay he wrote it he wrote that yeah, he wrote like, natural born like, killers as well yeah and i, I was love like, that movie true romance by the way so oh. um but my favorite film of his directed by tony scott though yes. just for our listeners yes um and we'll get to tony um <laughs> so my favorite film of his is actually inglorious bastards okay it's incredible and and the like the obvious choice would be Pulp Fiction, right? Because sure. that's that's the first film of his that I saw. And it's the one I go back and rewatch. That's why I have to still say it's my favorite. I yeah. just love it to pieces. But I love when a filmmaker evolves. Yeah, and like you have to realize that Quentin Tarantino is kind of like the DJ of the directorial world. A lot of his style comes from obscure cinema that that mm-hmm. most audiences haven't been exposed to. Like so he took like the best of, you know, Asian Hong Kong cinema and old B movie spaghetti westerns and he mm-hmm. kind of he created these um you know just these collages of just really powerful filmmaking techniques with fascinating characters and stories. Yeah. And so it sort of shocked the audiences because they weren't used to seeing this, Um, you know, but he's, you know, he just, so he kind of mashes these styles together. I mean, like the anime and Kill Bill was like, where where did that come from? But it was, it was, so he clearly, he has his own touch. You know, when you're seeing a Tarantino film. Oh yeah. But the dialogue, everything, the the way it's, the scenes are set. It's so Tarantino-esque. Exactly. So, but when you look at, uh, the dialogue and really the structure of the story of um, true romance and you look at Reservoir Dogs and you look at Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and and Death Proof and even Kill Bill to some degree you're, you're kind of seeing a lot of the same elements you know shuffled and told mm. in different settings true. and yeah. when he came with Inglorious Bastards it was I know it was in response to to critics calling his films rough around the edges and you have to realize he did almost all of inglorious bastards inside a studio oh really yeah almost all of that is inside the studio set up and set wow and here's when i felt like he said okay motherfuckers you know <laughs> fine here's here's a movie for you critics my way right right and it's still over the top and this but it he yeah blowing I felt, Adolf Hitler to bits. <laughs> I I felt like he hit a new stride as a filmmaker and a storyteller with that film. So I would say that's my like I like everything that was there all along. He now had the budget and the time to really pull off what he's capable of. It's a good point because despite all the giddy ridiculousness of Inglorious Bastards, which it does have, as we just said, it has certain scenes and dialogue that is just so expertly crafted and staged that it really does show kind of a whole new level i agree like that pub sequence which goes on for 15 minutes just the way it stages uh suspense yeah it is and the opening scene the interrogation with that french guy it's so palpable it's incredible it's it's horrifying yeah and because of the stakes yeah absolutely and and just for our listeners it's i think it's important to just make a comment here that 
we in this discussion we really have to separate the art from the artist because we're cool. yeah. you know he's come under fire recently and he's clarified you know what happened with uma and all this and the moment you step away from the art and you dig into the artist too much it's it's just a conversation where nobody wins yeah you, you, you. You, you know so it's like it's like i think michael jackson is one of the greatest singers of all time of course, but of his personal life was a mess. And some of the shambles, things he yeah. may or may not have done. Same thing, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. So, I, I, I'm not now going to suddenly go, oh, I don't like his performances. I do, think he he's one amazing. of the best actors ever. Yeah. Uh, it sucks if he really is a douchebag. But yeah, it's we're absolutely. And we just so you know, we always bring that up. We yeah. do. Separate real life to the performance. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, and you know, I, I don't agree with how people are portraying Quentin Tarantino because I think he's probably, I've never met him, but from what I see in his films, he empowers women. I've like, actually yeah. heard he, he's a he, consummate professional as yeah, well. And, and, I, and that's how I believe he is. And, mm. you know, it's like, generally, I really, I don't watch the news much. I don't, I hardly, I think the only people who believe everything that they read in the news are either stupid or crazy. Yeah. I agree. Exactly. <laughs> One of the two. So... You know, it's like, give the guy to, like, anybody, there's no there's no jury anymore. It, we no. just, we've just gone straight to the executioner. And, yeah, absolutely. And there are certain people who deserve the axe. Oh, but let's, sure. let's separate the art from it. And and I still think, you know, like, I'm sure the full story will come out. And, and he's he's said a fair bit about it. And so is Uma. Um, but his, his body of work, separate from that, is still and amazing. And it speaks for itself. It does. I yeah. mean, that's why he's widely yeah. regarded as one of the greatest filmmakers. So, again, I know this is going to be kind of hard to do for Tarantino, but what would you say would be his kind of quote-unquote hidden gem or underrated film? I would say that um, the hidden gem is probably... God, it is kind of hard to it do. Is it is. <laughs> I would say Reservoir Dogs. Okay, good. That's because most said. people yeah. see uh, Pulp Fiction, right? And they don't see Reservoir Dogs, right? And um, I would say that's the hidden gem. Well, because what about I... from Dust Till Dawn, did that? No, well? that's Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, that's oh, Robert Rodriguez. In it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, why did I think he also did that it. movie? I think he also. I think he was one of the co-writers. He may have. Yeah. Because his name is on that. Oh, yeah. Not just he's as definitely the actor. In it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, look, we'll move on. And here's what we're probably going to have to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I love that we have this problem. We're probably going to have to do a two-parter. Okay. Hopefully you're down for that. Um, so we're going to do a few more here. Okay. And then we'll take a break. Um, and then everyone can tune in for part two. Um, because I absolutely want to complete this. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, Tarantino, he is. He, he's a phenomenal singular director okay good my turn right no my turn damn it <laughs> yep. okay so number five on my list is john hughes okay absolutely and on my list course. and and this hold what? on chronological chronological wouldn't he be before because he was like a huge 80s guy yeah but uh, again hit I, you at a later it hit me age. like i had seen nightmare on elm street and then shortly after somehow i saw breakfast club and then you know after that weird science ferris bueller's mm -hmm. day off um, he also trains, wrote trains and automobiles. He, so yeah. he wrote also Mr. Mom, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink and Home Alone. Home Alone. He was a phenomenal writer and director. And the truth is, is I don't think his films will mean anything to a teen these days. Really? I don't. Because teens are living in a different world they these are. days. And he, it's sad, his, but... his films, and his mentality, you have to realize, was based on 
sort of his experience in the the 70s and 60s and he talked to a lot of young people so he modified that to sort of create a vision of this in the 80s now teens are always going through the same set of basic sure. problems but the environments that they that they're in affected a lot i would say the most relevant of all his films would arguably be um breakfast club Agreed. i just i feel like i feel an, that an audience really stands the test of time it's incredible how that film works so yeah. well to me because there's you know, i was gonna defend what you were gonna say i was gonna be like what are you talking about we love those films and i was like oh shit yeah. we're all old farts yeah yeah it's, <laughs> that's the thing you're, if you show wife, that to well, a 14 year old girl yeah. and she might well, my be wife's like, much younger than me um yeah, but she's still not like a, a yeah. young girl but she also doesn't really revere those films like like yeah. we do yeah and so this any conversation based on this it's like even if you look at a film critic and they're talking about their favorite directors of all time it really depends on the age of the critic too it does yeah and and, and it's not so film critics because they tend to be film historians and stuff yeah. not and that that will influence their opinions but again these are generation like my filmmakers are from are largely from my generation and what i grew up on because yes i think orson wells is one of the greatest directors of all time and and I think Frank Capra is one of the greatest directors He's of all fantastic. time. I don't think Spielberg would be Spielberg without the films of Cecil B. DeMille, Frank Capra, and Orson Welles. And I right. agree. So, I mean, he would be Spielberg. I just don't think, I think they had a profound influence on oh, him. Of course, right. it's evolutionary, isn't it? How it builds. So, yeah. they're, I think they're the greatest filmmakers. They're not on my top 25 list because, again, their influence seeped through Spielberg right. to me. Right. It's so interesting what you're saying because... Hughes, as a director, is known as, yeah, like the teen guy who does, but not of this modern generation. It's of the people who are like in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. But his films are phenomenal. Yes. Uh, to those who, I guess, who saw them when we were young. Uh, actually, what's interesting is I became a huge Hughes fan a bit later. It was actually in my 20s, but okay. still it, it hit the yeah, soft spot. Yeah, the Breakfast Club is absolutely my favorite one. I yeah. mean, I can just watch that film over and over and over again. I actually love them all, though. I do, um, What would be your favorite and your, like, underrated hidden gem, Darius? Uh, um, I would say that my favorite um, would have to be The Breakfast Club. Yeah. And, like, I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a huge hit, but I, I would say hidden gem weird science yeah i was gonna say that too because too. that film is bill so paxton. charming so oh my bill god paxton. what is he yeah. chad chad, chad. <laughs> so she turns him into a great big pile of shit <laughs> that's right so kids these days have been spoiled with how good filmmaking has has gotten at at the lower budget levels yeah. so it's hard for them to like if you're gonna show kids films like i showed my daughter's et last year which is was an incredible experience for me for my kids to love these films that i loved they at loved their it, age right? they loved it yeah. oh good so because i but, love et oh, but by the time by the time you hit 13 or 14 right. these days you're an experience like you've watched so much quality television and so much filmmaking that the rough edges on these things make you just want to click to the next channel yeah. right so but if they could look past that and get to the emotional investment of it, then I think they would be hooked and watch them. I agree. I just don't think the casual moviegoer is going to do that unless their parents are taking them to see it. Okay, good. Well, it's my turn, right? Yep, it's now. your turn. Okay, good. I mean, Hughes is a great pick. John Hughes was fantastic, and unfortunately, we lost him too early as well. And what's weird is uh, a final kind of mention of him. His career kind of 
puttered out towards the end. He had a very strong run in like the 80s and then in the early 90s and then just kind of stopped working. It when, was interesting. When John Candy died, he oh. said that Hollywood killed him. Oh, wow. And he sort of divorced himself from Hollywood at that point. I read an article uh, on that because then he kind of, he didn't become a hermit as such, but he like moved back to like a rural, yes. you know, town. He's done with the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so he, interesting. So, you know, so he, pity, man. I think, I think uh, mortality hit him in the face, yeah. you know, and still like, you know, you look at, he wrote Home Alone, yeah. which is one of the greatest Chaplin-esque films of, you know, yeah, recent cinema it was yeah. phenomenal i watch that with my kids every christmas so now yeah. and i still laugh my ass off yeah it's great you know it's great physical humor god bless him okay all right good so my pick it is my turn right it is your okay. turn <laughs> okay good all right so my pick is jj abrams okay. okay so i i mean i love him um it's interesting when i looked at this i i still put him here i do think he's a great director but actually where he really excels is kind of just as a filmmaker, as an artist, because obviously he's behind, you know, Alias, he's behind Fringe, he's behind Lost, all these so TV shows, shows that were incredible, and he's produced so many films. In terms of direction, well, he rebooted Star Trek, which personally I loved. Yes. Um, he did The Force Awakens, which personally I loved because it made me feel like a kid again. Did you like The Force Awakens? I had really big issues with that film. Oh my God, we could talk for hours, Darius. Yeah. I love this. No, it's okay. I think Many I, people did. Yeah. I, if I, JJ's not on my list. No, no, it's and, okay. And, and realize also because like, you know, we're going sequent. Yeah. He's a, a recent filmmaker. He is. Yeah, Last he is. decade. So when I was making my list and I like, I'm getting down to the recent filmmakers, I really had to like, you know, there's a battle happening there right. like in recent years because, and here's why JJ's not on my list. Um, I think he's a phenomenal filmmaker, um, but his, I think all the films you cited are incredible films. I would love and to Mission make Impossible films. I would love to make three, films of that quality. And then Super 8, just with the other two, just to get those out. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but he's not, I don't. I there's, don't just want, so you know, I there's watch, no judgment. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I love to hear your honest opinion. So my honest opinion is... I might slap you. Is, <laughs> is I have Spielberg on my list. Right. And, and he's kind of like a Spielberg wannabe. He is. Almost, he is. It, and, and that's sort of... Like, he makes phenomenal movies. He makes movies that I would love to make the quality of. Here's why I love him. I think everything he makes is exciting. And I think he does adrenaline and fun and action uh, yeah. in an incredible way. Um, I, I do agree with you if I have to be kind of impartial and stand back. What does he kind of do that's completely unique and singular, especially when I compare it to these other directors? I probably couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, did, I probably could. So that's it. Like if I had like... I'll watch Pan's Labyrinth again before I'll right. watch The Force Awakens of again. Course. Right. Yeah. So, and that's, it's, he's tasked, he's been tasked with the impossible job three times now. Yeah. Pick up Mission Impossible and get it going again. <laughs> Which it did. Pick he up succeeded. Star Trek Which and get did. it going again. Yeah. Pick up Star Wars Hat and trick. get it going again. He did it. <laughs> and I don't think there's another filmmaker him. who has done that. Right. right. Yeah. He has done the impossible. Yeah. He's a phenomenal filmmaker. Right. I, I would dream to be of of that quality of filmmaker. But again, when it comes down to singular vision, I I like again, I feel like he is to some degree continuing in the steps of Spielberg. And here's the truth. 
he is. Yes. Darius, he is. Yeah. So, so, so that's it. Like, yeah, the, you're the, right. So it's like, I have Spielberg on my list, so I may as well have J.J. Right. Abrams on my list. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, Makes look, sense. I respect that completely. I, I, you know, I'm usually very cocky and I'll usually say you're wrong. I actually don't think you are. Um, I, I just, I love him because he, he just brings so much excitement and fun. Um, Force Awakens would be my favorite one of him because for whatever reason, it made me feel like a kid again. Yeah, and I've seen it, it a dozen times. And Super 8, which we talked about really? last week because you thought that I was thought funny. It was Spielberg. She thought Steven Spielberg directed it. He produced it Because though. it was yeah. so Spielberg-esque. Um, that would be my hidden gem for him. Yeah. Because it was actually great. a great film um, and not enough people really... I don't think it stood the test of time because it was no. a big hit when it came out. Um, I know he's not your greatest, but what would be your pick? Uh, my favorite uh, film of his will have to be Star Trek because I right, felt like he, I felt like he picked it up and he put new life into it. So whereas true. I feel like The Force Awakens was kind of taking a lot of what already worked um, and putting it in a way that fans would finally go, fuck, finally a good Star Wars movie, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. a, Most did, a, a but relief, still didn't. You know, yeah. but, but, and... Like, honestly, if they hadn't killed, spoiler alert, if they hadn't killed Han Solo the way they killed him, I would have enjoyed the movie 10 times more. And this, this is just coming down to cultural. I don't think it's, it's not a problem that heroes die. Right. Right. It's how they die that matters. I agree with you on that. It was messed up. And that was the worst way possible to make Han Solo die. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. It was the worst <laughs> way possible to this. kill Han Solo because that guy on your wall. Han Solo <laughs> is on my wall. Every kid wanted to be Han Solo. Of course, right. yeah. Okay. You know what? In his contract, Harrison Ford wanted him to die and you in don't Return have an of the Jedi. That, I don't have a right. problem that You're he got killed. Ben Solo, his son, kills him. How they disposed yeah. of the hero to me was... Yeah unforgivable and they just did the same thing with luke skywalker so and i don't give a shit if people say this is how modern audiences are story making has been around for three and a half thousand years yeah exactly i don't disagree with you just so you know uh those points are actually valid and are irritating somehow i can kind of get past that and look at everything else and try and just try and yeah, enjoy it. it it's and it's that was harder gen- for me to do with the last jedi that's look if i had never seen star wars before and i had just seen them if i'm a new kid that has just seen these films like on itunes like i didn't have to wait years and stand in line at midnight to see the empire strikes back yeah there's just so much emotional connection to these characters. Yeah. And kids these days, they're not going to identify with Han Solo. They're right. going to identify with Rey. Exactly. Right. And, I, and that's kind of the point. That's, that's, that's a very good point. And when yeah. they have Rey's daughter kill her on right. the Empire Strike Back bridge <laughs> right. in episode 14, it's people are going to be pissed. They're yeah. going to go ape shit. Yeah. They're going to be pissed just yeah. like I am. Yeah. So again... I agree with you on that. In that movie, and I loved Force Awakens. I thought it was a phenomenal that film. That point... Yeah. I was very upset. I just like, I was. It's like finding shit inside your birthday cake. <laughs> okay, enough ragging on my boy, but I, I get it. And I, do I think he's a you. phenomenal filmmaker. Yep. I think he did the impossible mission. Okay, good. And, and it's true. And he did direct one of those as well. Yep. All right, good. So we'll wrap up on Abrams. Um, so we'll do one more. It's your okay. choice. And then uh, what we'll do is we'll end this episode. And then everyone will have to uh, tune in for episode two to hear the rest. Okay, perfect. So next on my list is George Miller. 
George Miller. Okay, he didn't make my list, so he, he did Mad Max. He, okay, so he did and Babe Two, Pig in the City. Yeah, that's not, that's, <laughs> but whatever, you know, they and were Mad they were Max solid Fury films. Road. Oh my god, this is a guy who made Mad Max Fury Road in his seventies. Did wow. you love that movie? Phenomenal, mind Look, blowing. Love like, that yeah. movie, like, mind blowing. What? I'll tell you what I loved most about it is that he didn't give up. Can and, I ask and, you something before you talk about that? Because yeah. I'm not so familiar. What else has he really done? Do you know? Did you research it at all? Because I'm not familiar. And seriously, he directed Babe Two: Pig in the City. Okay, so he did so a, random another film which I loved as as a, a, a young adult, which was The Witches of Eastwick with Jack that Nicholson. Was a he great directed movie. that. Yes. Oh, that's with Cher. It's such a Jack creepy Nicholson. movie. Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. That's right. That's a great it's film. Really I good had movie. no idea that yes. was George Miller. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Let me double check my list before I get shit on no, by no, everybody okay. out there. Uh, Dare yeah. said it now. You heard it first from him. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then of course, I mean, he's he's most known for the Mad Max films yeah. and the ones in the 70s, the 80s. I mean, I loved them at the time. They don't stand the test of time so well, but then he came back with Mad Max Fury Road, which is incredible it's the same movie for a new generation uh, it's just it incredible so, good. so and and like i unabashedly loved beyond thunderdome with so tina turner okay <laughs> and again this is a generation i was a kid i didn't have like a, a fully developed taste of films but i knew that it was a here was a filmmaker who wanted me who wanted who made me want to make movies you know right. what i mean it's like when you saw when you saw the evolution of the filmmaker you saw how rough um you know, Mad Max was, and he had very little money. And, you know, he was cutting that for months and months and recutting that film. And once you make a movie, you understand how, nobody goes trying to make a bad movie. Mm-mm, that's cool. like, that's not. like the one thing everybody, nobody goes, I'm going to go make a bad movie. You know, not even <laughs> totally. porn directors. Do right. yeah. You know, yeah, everybody wants right. to make a script. <laughs> everybody wants to make a good movie. Yeah. So if you look at the evolution of him as a filmmaker where you see, okay, here was Mad Max and then came the Road Warrior, which was mind-boggling. At for the, the time, time it was incredible. It was and incredible. the stunts and car chases are still phenomenal. So, you know, and and then he did Beyond Thunderdome, which he got a bigger budget for, and it was yeah, you know, it was eighties, you know, like you know, like it, it, oh, it had, I agree. At the time you know, I loved it. I don't want to watch it again. It's so cheesy. Now. I don't want to watch it again because I it did what it needed to Try do. Try watching the first one. The first one is so so cheesy. But now. I think I would cut number one more slack than I would cut number three. Really? Yeah. But and so then when I saw Mad Max Fury Road, it was, it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. It's so psychedelic, color infused madness. And it's honestly, when you think about it, it's the dumbest story ever. Oh, absolutely. It's just it's one just long a car, car chase. chase. It is. Which is pointless and then going back. <laughs> it, it is the car chase out of French Connection on steroids. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and yet you saw the love that went into that film and the passion that he never gave up. And, and that to me, I want to still have that passion when I'm in my 70s about filmmaking. He is an inspirational yeah that's very inspiring and that i remember that film came out of nowhere yeah it didn't have huge buzz because it's been 30 years since the film had been made and it just blew everyone away. once they showed that show reel clip at comic-con or wherever it was where you saw the the twister storm they were like holy shit we've never seen this before and and this also it just uh, and again this you know it's like so much of hollywood is fixated about the age of the filmmaker and you know like they're always looking for what's new and young because Mm -hmm. young people tend to the people be the people who go buy the most tickets yeah so they're always looking for the new and the young and it just proved that you know 
an amazing story that captivates a modern audience can come from anywhere. Exactly. And he just, uh, you know, again, it was Mad Max for a new generation. Yeah, it's going to be hard to kind of do a hidden gem and the best film because I don't really know his body of work. Obviously, Mad Max Fury Road is phenomenal. It's in my top 20, 50 films of all time. Yeah, and Charlize Theron was the standout in that film. Furiosa, Tom Hardy, I don't understand what they did with him in that film. Well, he didn't have many lines. I think it was still good. He did the best he could with what he had. Yeah. I don't know your take. Nicholas Holt as one of the, what do you call them, Fury Boys. I thought he, he was I thought he was phenomenal. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, this is the forgive my ignorance here but this is the one that sort of like got on their side at the end and That's helped. right. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's George Miller. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to end this episode. This is so much fun. Cool. Um, and uh, you know, folks, tune in next week for part 2 Best Film Directors. Whoop good whoop. night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to another new episode of Tony the Movie Guy, the podcast. My weekly reminders, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tony the Movie Guy. You can email us at any time at Tony the Movie Guy podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Patreon and become a patron of our podcast. And you can find all of our podcasts on YouTube. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We really appreciate that. And we will see you next week for part two with Darius Wilher and favorite movie directors. Bye-bye.